So we want to talk about uh, about market development, future market, and applications uh, for growing demand. Uh, I thought uh, it's appropriate that we quickly uh, all introduce ourselves. So I will I will, introduce, I will start with myself. Uh, I'm now almost uh, three years uh, with Anglo and almost three years in this industry. Before that, I was in the, in the car industry uh, my, my entire life, all, all over the globe, from China to the US to various countries in Europe with companies like, like Daimler, Daimler Chrysler, Hyundai Kia, General Motors, et cetera, et cetera. My name is not Benny whatever, it is Benny Oyen. Um, it's a strange name. Uh, it's a Belgian uh, Flemish name, but that I have to spell in my own country as well. So uh, it is uh, it's very uh, okay if you don't know how to do this. So I'm the head of um, uh, market development for Anglo-American uh, based uh, in, in London. So I would like to uh, now hand this over to Anton, uh, the man with the most impressive uh, background uh, on the panel here who can then introduce uh, himself. Anton, over to you. Thank you. Uh, I'm Anton Berlin. I'm a vice president uh, for sales and commerce at Norilsk Nickel, and I've been with the company over 20 years, starting on the PGM side, but now I look after all the products, uh, base and pressed metals, but obviously PGMs are in the focus today. And uh, I've started my job as an analyst, so I am typically very keen to know what's going on in depth with our PGM markets. Benny, back to you. Okay, thanks, Anton. Uh, so we move from uh, the person with uh, the most uh, impressive and, and clear uh, background to the person with the absolute neutral background to uh, Kevin Egger. Thanks, Benny. Uh, very uh, good afternoon to you. So um, my name is Kevin Eggers. I'm a co-founder and partner at AP Ventures. Uh, prior to forming AP Ventures in 2018, I was with the Anglo-American group for 10 years, much of that time with Anglo-American Platinum. So Platinum business is obviously very close to my heart. Um, and it's actually where the origins of AP Ventures um, are, in, within Anglo-American Platinum as an in-house venture capital fund. Um, AP Ventures is focused on investing in early stage companies that use or enable the use of Platinum Group Metals. And we are backed by Anglo-American and the Public Investment Corporation as our two founding uh, investors. And then furthermore, we have Mitsubishi Corporation, Toyota, and Plastic Omnium as investors in our platform. Thanks, Betty. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, with that, I'd like to hand over to Trevor, Trevor Raymond. Thanks, Benny. Um, I'm Trevor Raymond. I'm the Director of Research at the World Platinum Investment Council. Uh, the South African mining, uh, PGM mining company set us up five years ago to develop the platinum investment market. Uh, we do that by providing insight, data and information to allow investors to make more informed investment decisions. And we also work with partners to make sure that there are more platinum investment products and that they are cost effective. Um, thanks, Benny. Thank you, uh, Trevor. And uh, with that, over to uh, Matthias. Yeah, good day, afternoon, um, good morning, uh, wherever you sit on the globe. Um, Matthias Dorn, um, Senior Vice President for Precious and Base Metal um, Services at BASF um, in the Catalyst Division. Um, so I'm responsible for all metal supply um, into BASF Group um, for the automotive catalysts, uh, but also for, for the battery business um, <clears throat> with um, trading offices all around the globe. And we are making sure that we always have the right metal at the right time um, at hand to produce um, cathode active material or automotive catalyst. 
happy to be here. Back to you, Benny. Thank you very much, uh, Matthias. And uh, last uh, but surely not least, we have uh, Tim Schlick. Tim, go ahead. Thank you very much, Benny, and good evening from Hong Kong. I'm Tim Schlick, Chief Operating Officer for Platinum Guild International. I've been with the company for five years now. And before that, I spent two decades as management consultant and in marketing communication agencies. And at Platinum Guild International, we are responsible for making consumers fall in love with platinum, um, for platinum jewelry. And we're doing that in our core regions, um, the US, Japan, India, and China. And very happy to be on that panel. Thank you very much, Tim. So now uh, you all know us uh, a little bit. So um, let's kick, kick this off uh, with, with a question I want to direct to, to Anton, uh, Anton Berlin. And uh, so since the, 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 the crisis, uh, because you're close to the market, you're, you're a producer, uh, very clearly a supplier. Uh, how has demand uh, been affected uh, since the beginning of the crisis? What, what markets, what regions are growing, what is contracting, which metals are hot, which metals are not? Uh, if you can talk us a little bit from your point of view, with your experience and, and your company's uh, point of view, what, what, what is going on uh, in, in the market? Thanks, Anton. Uh, well, for us, uh, the pandemic obviously had a negative impact on uh, demand across metals. It's just a question of scale. And in our basket, PGMs were probably the most uh, sensitive and the most damaged. Uh, nickel was kind of medium copper almost unaffected but the, the trend is similar and uh, the, the way we see it it's uh, a crisis and if we speak about pgms and automotive mines and this is the biggest crisis in uh, car sales ever in, in their history even 2008 wasn't that bad or 2009 and uh, it will be on the recovery path but i i think uh, it will take us more than a year to go back to normal levels so say 2022 to reach uh, or exceed the 90 levels. And this would be true across uh, all markets and industries. Again, it's just a question of uh, the number of percent in, in the downturn. So there are obvious uh, injuries that have been damaged a lot. Automotive, aerospace, they had troubles before the pandemic. And as you can imagine, the prohibition of flying didn't help uh, sell airplanes, obviously. And this gave uh, a good excuse to many clients to cut uh, or postpone their deliveries of new aircrafts, which is impacted metal usage, obviously. Uh, there are consumer goods which are affected because so many people were, were still are on the lockdown and they don't just buy stuff. They just need food and toilet paper and that's it. And uh, th this is impacting the metal consumption. We do have uh, hopes with recovery, especially in China. And there is a very large stimulus they inject into the economy. And typically, when we speak about China, it's about infrastructure. So it should be metal heavy, but it hasn't happened yet. So we're waiting for this to happen uh, as soon as this year. Okay, thanks, Anton. So, um, and, and what is Norilsk policy on that? So, you, you observe the market, you see the market, it goes down and up, and do you uh, ride uh, the waves and, uh, and uh, adjust uh, your cost structure with it, or do you also see opportunities to actively shape and stimulate the market? Uh, well, I don't think there's anything we, we can do to help the market in the short term. 
if you recall the start of the year, we had incredible rise in prices for palladium and rhodium. And in our view, for palladium specifically, it was more about liquidity and lack of uh, the ingot form, which is the backbone of uh, the clearing system and the interbank trade. So we, we hope that we resolve this by supplying a few tons of uh, bars into the clearing system. But this didn't prevent the pandemic, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, we've handled one smaller crisis and uh, we, we face a different one. Uh, you may say we're riding the waves because uh, there's not much we can do in a short time frame. Uh, we, we have the uh, contracts in place, uh, except for China before the pandemic started. Uh, we, we had some of the clients asking to, to reduce deliveries or postpone the deliveries. It wasn't a massive number, but still it occurred. And we understand that our clients and downstream are in the same very difficult situation. Uh, in some industries, we have seen increasing inventories. Uh, we've seen uh, the spot market virtually disappearing, except China again. But uh, with China, there's a very good reason. They didn't really go into long-term uh, contract negotiations before the Lunar New Year. And when they went on vacation, they didn't come out because of the pandemic and the lockdown. So by the time they were out back to business, they thought that the future wasn't that uh, secure. So they've uh, chosen to use short-term or spot deals. So there were never the long contracts for, for China for this year. That's why they had some spot activity, but obviously the general market uh, is not as uh, good as it was expected to be. And even with palladium, which was in a systemic deficit for many years now, this year when we see a deficit, we think it's fairly balanced. But again, we have uh, high hopes with uh, improvement coming as early as uh, next year. Uh, maybe still behind 2019, but definitely better than 2020. Yeah, so uh, it's it's uh, it's amazing how you say uh, this is the, the strongest uh, crisis, uh, for example, on vehicle sales, which is very much impacting all of our business, but your your business, uh, especially in the palladium area. This is the, the the worst we've ever seen since the Second World War. That's basically what you were saying, right? Yep. Uh, but you're also quite optimistic. So it's it's a very sh uh, strong uh, and steep lack of of, v, of a V. But you're also very optimistic already in 21 or 22 that we're going to be back to old levels. Uh, so it's a very uh, narrow and very steep V recovery that, that you are you are seeing. Is that correct? Well, it's not. It's U-shaped. Uh, but but you're asked, I, I'm being a bit optimistic because if there's a second wave or if the pandemic is here for a few years, this will always change the landscape uh, of the future. So I, I'm still hoping for a softer scenario that it just goes away by New Year. I think we all have the same hopes. So uh, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Anton. Thank you very much. Uh, Kevin, um, uh, so the, the PGM in, in industry, you know, um, uh, we have uh, traditionally been, been the mining uh, companies, right? Uh, you know, before I joined, I just thought of, of mining as uh, digging a hole in the ground, getting stuff out, grinding it and selling it. That's about uh, what my image was of, of the mining industry. But uh, this is uh, changing now a lot. So there is a lot of uh, innovation and, and, and developing of, of new markets, et cetera, going on. So what, 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 what can we do? What, what, what are the, the, the interesting opportunities uh, and what is the role there of, of venture capital uh, that, that it can play? So where, where do you see this uh, pan out? 
Yeah, sure, Benny. Thanks for the question. I, mean, I think you know um, it's fair to say that you know, innovation and uh, takes a number of different forms, and and different companies approach it differently. I mean, I obviously have a bias. Um, I think venture capital is, should be fundamental to any strategy around innovation, and that's because um, yeah, I think it's the surest way to align interests, to motivate founders, managers uh, who are aligned to achieve success with the investors. And, um, and furthermore, those companies can work quite closely with um, the, the, the companies that have invested in them. So, for example, it gives an opportunity for these startup companies to work closely with large corporates who are trying to perfect or improve in certain areas. Um, you can draw a large, diverse group of co-investors. I think that's what's probably been the most interesting you know, facet for us in the last couple of years is just how many different co-investors we can find who are interested in investing in similar technologies, but perhaps for very different reasons. So it's that ability to sort of coalesce around a single vision and, and that breadth of investor base is, is, is certainly quite powerful. And I think you know, venture capital is quite selective. It, it, it's only going to allow economically viable projects to succeed. And that economic viability ensures that there's a certain, well, there's a very accelerated Darwinian effect there where you're only allowing your, your, your best opportunities to, to, to succeed. And I think that's quite healthy rather than allowing innovation to be funded indefinitely because of someone's pet project. So I think those are the dynamics I think make venture capital part of any uh, innovation strategy and certainly uh, has a big role to play in, in, in the mining side and for, for PGMs particularly and, and, and certainly for market development. Okay, so and uh, your um, in in what sectors do you see uh, the the main activities where uh, where we should uh, concentrate or where the industry should uh, should invest in for the to safeguard the future? Sure. So I think it's it's fair to say you know a big part of our our focus and our investing focus has been around hydrogen. I think that's that's interesting for a couple of reasons. One is you know a significant user of PGMs in many applications. So, um, you know, we are very excited by electrolysis, so hydrogen generation, um, as well as end uses for hydrogen, which will ultimately demand additional creation of that green hydrogen. So um, using hydrogen, for example, in the creation of synthetic proteins, um, hydrogen in e-fuels, electrofuels, all of those, that secondary process of actually creating the electrofuel uses um, a, a precious metals or platinum group metals. But, um, but rather also builds on the use of hydrogen, which again uses uh, PGM. So I think that's a really interesting area, one for huge, has huge potential for, for, for the industry. And then there's a, there's a range of other exciting opportunities we've seen. Uh, we've closed a deal in a water treatment company earlier this year that I think has interesting applications in South Africa in a, in a distributed hydrogen peroxide technology. Um, we've seen some uh, things on the synthetic hydrocarbons for, for cosmetics, beauty products, um, green ammonia. Uh, we, we see quite a few green ammonia opportunities, green ethanol. A number of those use PGMs as a core part of the technology. And, and you know, it's a case of bringing these technologies to market, which will ultimately drive new uses. Benny, so I must say, from what I see across our you know, hundreds of opportunities a year, I'm, I'm quite buoyed by the number of companies that come to us that use PGMs in, in effectively an irreplaceable role. And that's, that's what's quite exciting about PGMs. They play a small but significant part of, of, of these companies that we look at. Yeah, so you are out in the market uh, trying to get capital, uh, to, to, to steer capital towards uh, the investments that, that you want to wanna have it and that 
we wanna want it to. So, uh, do you see, do you feel a difference versus four, five, six years ago, um, and and now uh, how uh, the whole hydrogen uh, space uh, became a more uh, en vogue, uh, became uh, hot uh, and and sexy and attractive, uh, versus maybe five years ago you were uh, seen as as a, as a preacher in the desert for some uh, funky uh, technology that was gonna be the tomorrow's technology uh, forever. Uh, do you see, do you feel uh, a major uh, shift there? I mean, from the outside, it definitely looks like that, but um, you, you're really at, at the pulse there. You can elaborate on that maybe a little bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, it's been fascinating. The last 18 months has been a tremendous wave of interest in hydrogen specifically, um, which has been, you know, fantastic for us to see, having been, been there in that market since 2013, looking for opportunities to see that interest uh, emerge. And I'd say, Benny, the biggest sort of reason is, is, is the recognition that there's a fundamental role that hydrogen can play as part of the decarbonization of energy. Uh, whereas if we go back five years, it was really focused on mobility and perhaps fuel cell electric vehicles as, as what's probably a bit of a niche market. That will grow. We still believe in that opportunity. But actually, the, the really interesting thing about hydrogen at the moment is that it can be seen as, as, as used in so many different applications in reducing the carbon intensity of steel in some of those um, uh, you know, electrofuels, uh, e-fuels that I just mentioned previously, as well as some of the synthetic you know, hydrocarbon products that are coming to market. So it's got a range of end-use applications. And um, you know, I think nowadays a lot of recognition that it could be up to 20% of the overall energy mix which is which is very uh, you know, very good news for us uh, as an industry uh, and seeing what will ultimately be you know a lot of incremental new demand coming out of all those various applications. Yeah, uh, Kevin. Yes, I, I I have to agree with you. And it's it's a, a one thing to look at uh, what the activity that's that's going on and the capital that's being deployed in the private sector, but another one is also to see what governments uh, are actually doing. Sure. And uh, if you see how governments are kind of seeing the light all over uh, the world, I mean, China uh, was already quite uh, strongly engaged in, in the whole uh, hydrogen space, right? In their in their current five-year plan, uh, there is a, a whole section on, on uh, renewable energy in which uh, hydrogen plays a, a, a dominant role. When you see Korea, when you see Japan, uh, uh, very uh, recently, the EU uh, already with a new Green Deal. Uh, the UK is discussing uh, right now about the hydrogen strategy. Uh, so there is there is really a, a lot uh, going on. Uh, the USA seems to be a, a little bit asleep, except uh, in that area. Uh, uh, they might wake up after November. Who knows? Uh, but uh, California seems to be uh, very much at the forefront there as well. So I think that's another. Uh, angle uh, to look at it and i think if these uh, two forces join uh, we will see uh, a lot of movement here so thanks a lot that, uh, yeah thanks thanks kevin so um my, my next question i would like to to switch uh, a little bit to uh, my my beloved uh, vehicles where i spent uh, 25 years uh, in different OEMs, so I'm gonna uh, uh, ask uh, Matthias. So, what what do you see? What is your your view and your company's view on on vehicle sales? We've we've heard a, a few uh, forecasts and 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 uh, impact uh, studies already uh, today. Uh, so, where do you see this going? How is this uh, gonna recover? Will it ever recover? Um, is there gonna be uh, a big impact, uh, for example, on, on on vehicle sharing, on ride sharing? Uh, that that maybe will will be more or less, which have an in, impact 
on on uh, on on vehicle demand, and then linked to that, uh, maybe as as a as a B uh, section, uh, how do you see the the whole evolution of the drivetrain, internal combustion engines uh, split into petrol and and diesel uh, electrification with hybrids, plug-in hybrids, uh, battery electric vehicles, fuel cell electric vehicles. So if you can. Uh, give us uh, your view and the BISF view on, on the wonder world of automotive and drivetrains. That would be very appreciated. I think your your, your ask questions is so broad that I would uh, actually, to answer all of your questions, need an hour or two. But uh, let's make it short. You can do it. I think what we what we have seen in the market is actually um, a steep decline, especially in April, May, June. Um, then recovery um, um, out of it. Um, I think China led again the way um, out of it. I think China is again... Um, pretty much uh, um, helping the rest uh, um, of the globe out here. Um, US um, also pretty pretty strong back. Uh, um, su surprisingly, um, I think if you look at used vehicle market prices, pretty steep. The the, the lots are empty of car dealers, um, and and I think this is one of the COVID learnings. A lot of people are trying to move out of the bigger cities, um, and if you move out of the bigger cities, of course, property prices rise, um, and at the same time, you need a car. Um, if property prices rise, you buy a used car, so therefore um, the used car prices are up and, um, and the lots are empty. So, so therefore, I think the U.S. comes better out um, than Europe um, out of the crisis. But we see, um, especially also on, on light-duty vehicles, so those pickup trucks uh, still strong demand in the U.S. So I think they are, um, if I would rank it, um, I think China first, um, then U.S., and then Europe from a market perspective. If you then look at um, what's also kicking in, I think um, the, the governments reacted pretty fast, uh, um, put very cheap liquidity um, into um, the whole um, equation, and now someone blows you out of my uh, basement window, so hopefully it's over and hopefully you can still hear me. Um, so if you look at, um, at the um, overall um, um, development there. Um, I think um, Europe uh, favorizing um, electric vehicles, um, so especially Germany, hoping for some subsidies there also on the normal combustion engine wasn't uh, fulfilled, uh, mainly favorizing electric, uh, fully electrified or um, electric vehicles. Um, so we see this year um, that we can catch up to somewhere between 67 to um, 69 million cars. Uh, um, overall, with um, around two, two and a half million um, um, electric, fully electric vehicles, BEVs. Um, then next year, um, going up to 77, but already with three million um, electric vehicles, fully electrified, so not hybrids, but fully electrified. And then going back up um, to 84, but then you have also already four million um, BEVs. So, therefore, um, would we see us coming? until 2023 back to the combustion engine numbers we have um, seen in 2019, no. Um, I think this will take um, longer. And then, of course, what you see with COVID um, is um, a change in demand patterns. So it's not clear um, how much we really need to commute in the future. I think a lot of um, a lot of companies are now changing um, office spaces, etc. So um, I think there's a lot of uncertainty um, with respect to the demand patterns um, based on the COVID development. Um, if you look at drivetrains, um, um, electrification, of course, you also talk about um, 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 fuel cells. Um, there we would see um, only that really becoming viable for personnel or for, for, for normal, normal um, cars 
at around 2030, especially SUVs, um, electric trucks. You see uh, Nikola in the US, uh, just um, GM has taken a share in it. So I think this will um, get some momentum now. Um, so I think on the heavy duty, that's certainly something um, to watch out. Um, overall, um, pretty positive for, um, for PGMs from our side, because you see with the tightening regulation, um, um, overall, um, more loadings needed. Uh, China um, kicking now in um, by end of this year um, for um, all provinces with higher loadings. So there we would be actually pretty positive. If you look at um, rhodium, um, we have hoped uh, for lower prices, of course, um, also for the, for the automotive industry. Um, rhodium came down to um, in the crisis at around four and a half thousand US dollar per troy ounce, but is now um, kicking um, um, over the thirteen thousand. Uh, um, US dollar per troy ounce, which is, of course, um, quite a cost in the meantime, quite good for some South African mines and also quite good from our, for our friends from the RILS, but uh, um, unfortunate for um, the OEMs. Um, but overall, I think we are um, seeing some um, substitution in the market now um, with, with the very high palladium prices. Customers are more driving for um, a partial replacement of palladium into platinum. Um, and there we also see momentum, um, but overall, with the higher loadings, we um, see still a deficit in especially rhodium, but also in palladium. Thanks, Benny. Back to you. Okay, thanks, Matthias. Yeah, so you uh, already uh, preempted a little bit my next question, because I was going to ask you the the, the, the the question or the sentence that you must have heard as the second uh, most frequently in, in the last six months. The, the most frequency is uh, frequent uh, would be uh, you're on mute. And the second one was what's going on with substitution uh, in, in the catalytic converters. But you, you already, you already talked about it. But uh, also, you have some skin in the game with your company because you developed uh, a platinum-based uh, catalyst, right? So how is it going? So um, also there are only positive news. Um, um, I think if you if you rank the countries, uh, um, of course, with the regulation where it is more easier than um, we would say to get those uh, catalysts approved. Um, you're talking um, more easier applications uh, from a legislation point of view in the US and China uh, and because there the testing is not as um, heavy um, as um, in, for example, Europe. The test cycles are a bit shorter. So so therefore. We see progress um, mainly in those two regions. And unfortunately, I can't tell you more, Benny, because I have um, NDAs in place left and right and everywhere. I can imagine. I was trying, but I knew you wouldn't bite. <laughs> well done, Matthias. Okay, th thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, very, very exciting, I think, uh, developments uh, that we see. Also uh, good uh, to see you uh, be partially uh, optimistic and quite quickly going to the 84 million uh, vehicle level. I think uh, this this is uh, uh, all pointing a little bit in the same direction. Uh, it's, it's in different levels, but generally there seems to be some some optimism with all the people uh, who are uh, knowledgeable uh, in the market, which which should be uh, a very positive thing for us. Okay, so um, uh, from vehicles, I would like to uh, to switch, which is a very uh, desirable uh, object uh, for most uh, people. I want to switch to other desirable objects, which is jewelry, uh, right? And uh, so, Tim, uh, so what what is going on in the jewelry market? Uh, we we can uh, of course imagine. Uh, big impacts uh, with COVID because when you're locked up in your home, uh, you don't want to buy jewelry. 
but maybe when you have been locked up in your home, uh, you are either going to divorce or you're going to love uh, your spouse uh, or your wife or your, your husband even more and buy some more jewelry. So is there, is there some effects? Are you seeing something and, and uh, maybe looking at different markets, uh, notably uh, the big ones, uh, uh, China, India, USA uh, and, and, and the rest of the world? So over to you, Tim. Thank you very much, Benny. And uh, thank you for pretty much um, taking 30% of my answer already. Well, what we see is, <laughs> what we see is really interesting. So, um, of course, as you said, um, COVID is not a great thing for jewelry. So if you're locked up at home, people don't go buy out. And, you know, I want, oh, I, I miss buying jewelry so much. That typically doesn't happen. So it's not surprised that, uh, especially in markets like um, India, um, at the moment, there's, no, there's really no, pretty much no business. Uh, U.S. Um, very slow, and of course, um, Japan slowly getting there. But here's the big: it's actually for the first time in five years where we are usually being asked, "So what's wrong with China? What's wrong with jewelry? When can we expect another million ounces coming in jewelry?" We it's we're cautiously optimistic. We're not saying just wait a year and everything will be rosy, but we see very very positive signs. Um, and let me tell you why. So first of all, um, we found that in a lockdown, you would think that people say, you know what, I can't stand this person. Uh, it's either an ex or a divorce lawyer. But actually, that's not the case. That's for the most part, what people are saying is, um, and we did a, did a big study in all our core markets. Um, and we did it right in the middle when every market was still in COVID. But surprising is that most consumers say, I found a new appreciation for my partner, that's number one. Uh, second of all, very, very interestingly, is that many people say, I it, this has helped me to sort out my priorities in life a little better. Meaning that people are steering away from superficial bling stuff to really to the quest for substance. So from consumer point of view, what we see is there is a need for something that means something. Um, away from something that's just superficial bling or just the next weekend in Paris or whatever, but something that means something. And we had some consumers literally saying that, um, oh, I wanted to buy something nice for my partner, but as, as we wanted to go on a vacation, but as we can't do that, I wanted to buy you something nice, which is a piece of jewelry. So consumers are much more um, skewed towards really the end of thing. What's also interesting, we ask consumers in the markets on a battery of discretionary items. So in luxury, um, once this is all over, would you buy more or less jewelry? And we were a bit concerned because what if everybody says, you know what, forget it, I'm out of here, jewelry will not be on the list. No, but the most important markets, India and China, jewelry made it to the top or second top of the list. Now you could argue that's probably also some people wanting, you know what, I want to buy something that carries some value and that it can give it back. That doesn't really matter that much to us because it's still people in a jewelry store. So that's very, very positive. So from a consumer point of view, we were positively surprised that um, getting, getting your priorities in order is not necessarily a bad thing for jewelry. What's also not a bad thing for jewelry is that after the lockdown, and we see that in China, to which I'm coming in a second, is um, all demand is domestic. So for the, longest, for the longest time, we've been struggling to fight discretionary spend, consumer spendings for experiences. People are going too much on vacation. Guess what? They're not doing that anymore. Well, if they do, they're doing it in-market, and they're doing, they, it's all domestic consumption that's really helping our partners. So this is all relatively positive. Now, the cherry on the icing of the cake is that um, this 
crisis has accelerated some trends that have been happening in Jewelry anyway, which are not necessarily a bad thing for platinum, and in many instances, a very good thing for platinum. So first of all, it is driving a market consolidation. So in Jewelry, what we've seen over the past couple of years is an extinction of the mid-market. So if you're, if you're the Walmart of Jewelry, you're pretty much doomed. If you're, if, you're, if you're everything to everybody, that doesn't work anymore. So either find a very distinctive niche, in a premium sectum or a very distinctive brand proposition, or you beat them on price. But anything in the middle is pretty much due. Now, um, this market consolidation is favoring organized trade or favoring large jewelry retailers that are very well prepared to do, to do that. Um, because you need to know in these markets like China and India, that's massive competition because it's nothing. The best business that you can do as a startup is a jury business. You, because your inventory, pretty much, if you go bust, you can always return the inventory. That's why you have a proliferation of hundreds and thousands of little jury stores. And they will probably not survive this. And this will favor platinum. So that's why we are relatively positive. And I'm going to end the positive rant with China, where we can actually see this playing out uh, in real life. So we see a massive recovery in China. As of now, it's still manufacturing demand caused by retailers stocking up. It, is yet, it remains to be seen. Well, this retail, this sellout, uh, this sell-in also uh, leads to a sellout. But typically, retailers stock up for a good reason. And this is also helped by the fact that, one, um, the price difference to gold is currently helping. Platinum is a pretty good deal at the moment. And secondly is for the past couple of years, we've worked a lot with manufacturers to get better alloys and better designs, which makes platinum at the, at the moment a pretty good deal and a pretty good, um, a pretty good bet to take. Thanks, Tim. So, um, uh, you know, in the jewelry market, as, as, as we all know, gold is, is the absolute uh, 500 pound gorilla. We are a niche uh, player. So um, are we now, uh, with, with your optimistic uh, story that you're telling, are we just riding uh, the general uh, wave of, of recovery and jewelry demand? Uh, or are we also taking away um, a relative uh, market share uh, from, from gold? So are, are, are we selling relative more uh, in, in, in the market? Do you have a, well, uh, you well, well, it's too soon to tell yet, but actually we're doing both. Because what we found is, and this sound, that might sound weird, but, but what we found the best way to move an entire market is to not move the entire market. So the best way to address the market is really for us to work with strategic partners who are the market makers and really create value for them in platinum and uh, make sure that this is just a very good business for them. And the way we do it is having the right design, having the right alloy, telling the right story, but also um, helping them to get consumers into the store that otherwise wouldn't show up. And you do that with marketing. And um, what retailers at the moment love about the collections that we're working on with them is um, the collections may be a little bit lighter. So um, the piece that you're buying, especially in China, is a bit lighter, but the turn is a lot higher. So if you have a piece that you're always selling 18 months at six gram, um, it's less favorable than having a piece of two gram that you're selling three times a year. So um, this is our current initiative, and we launched that um, study in China one and a half years ago. And this is actually playing in our cards very well at the moment because um, whatever recovery we will be seeing will be coming from, from our strategic partners. But it's important to note that we're not really 
We are still also an ingredient brand, and we're working with partners who also rely on gold as a business. So we will never defecate on gold and saying, you know what, forget about the gold stuff. You need to buy platinum. What we need to do is we need to make platinum such a good business that it, it really creates a, a nice space in our partner's portfolio. And that's what we see currently happening. And, and um, that's why we're cautiously optimistic that China will be the first one. And hopefully, once India has come out of it, that we'll see similar recovery in our other markets. Yeah, India is, is a good uh, uh, way into my, ne my next question, actually. So uh, India has uh, been uh, extremely hard hit and is in, in, in full uh, wave of, of, of the negative uh, COVID. But regardless of that, I think uh, Platinum had a quite uh, a good run in India, quite a success story. And you recently launched also some, uh, we, uh, there's uh, own brands, right, there, Ivara, etc., etc. And a new brand uh, was launched, the Man of Platinum, right? So can you talk a little bit about that, uh, how, how that is doing? Yeah, so we're very, very, very pleased with, with the way our um, brands are doing in India. And um, to give you a little bit of background, the reason why we're doing that is for the most part, not just in India, but um, for the most part, jewelry is really undifferentiated, very generic. Um, it's not collections telling a certain story. So this is really not happening much. And because we created these brands, these collections, we actually tell a, tell a, a nice story. Um, we are recruiting a whole new generation of consumers who really are buying into the quality of the product as well into the story that it's telling. And that is really helped by the fact that we're selling an actually very well, a, a good product, which um, also has very distinctive qualities that especially the Indian consumers are very well aware of because that's a, that's a jewelry culture where if people buy jewelry, they don't want to buy cheap crap. They want to buy fine jewelry. And um, platinum is, has been established as the metal, the good metal of meaning for the, uh, for the young generation, which is the contemporary metal. So uh, we are very hopeful that once um, the lockdown is over in India, we um, can go back into the market all guns blazing because it's also a very good business for retailers. Okay, thank you, Tim. Uh, in many uh, traditional markets like India, for example, uh, gold is very uh, dominant um, in, 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 in jewelry, uh, as you know, traditionally, culturally, because uh, it's also seen as a store of value and a kind of investment. That leads me to, uh, to Trevor. So uh, we've seen uh, a real uh, serious uptick in, uh, in investment uh, demand for, uh, for platinum. So in the first uh, half year, uh, seven, eight months. Uh, so is, is this what, what is going on in the market? Uh, why is this? Is this uh, a trend that will continue? Is this uh, just a blip on the radar screen? It will go back down. What is the forecast? How do you see this? So what, what is going on? If you can give us some, some insight in investment demand for platinum. Thanks, Benny. Yes, I think we've had quite a fascinating six months. And interestingly, uh, a lot of that has been dominated by metal shortages. I think what we saw in the first quarter uh, as COVID unfolded is that the concerns about global risk, uh, the huge economic damage done by the COVID-19 pandemic, many people wanted to move away from assets into safe haven uh, and precious metals and pretty much uh, picked gold primarily, uh, but also platinum. And what we saw in the first quarter surprised a lot of people. We had over 300,000 ounces of bar and coin demand and that's different to ETFs, as you heard uh, earlier today. Some people like to uh, discount ETFs uh, from the supply-demand uh, equation. 
But if you look at that 312,000 ounces in first quarter and then another 133 in the second quarter, and we're forecasting 600,000 ounces from bar and coin, I think a lot of those uh, institutional investors said that's something they just couldn't ignore. And that starts to tighten the market quite considerably. Um, so what happened is we also saw uh, China importing a lot of metal um, and buying on the spot market, as, uh, as Anton and, and Matthias have mentioned. Uh, and we saw very strong prices, particularly in the palladium market. And that continued to provide the interest that substitution is probably likely to gain momentum uh, rather than lose it. Uh, so what we had is last year, 2019, we saw a million ounces go into ETF, and those were the investors that believed substitution would happen, and they believed that supply was constrained. And then the shortage in March started with the unfortunate Anglo-Platinum converter plant uh, going offline, and that took about 550,000 ounces out of the annual supply. So what we've seen subsequent to that is that uh, although demand is down and autos are down, probably down less than expected, um, but platinum's probably in better shape than it was uh, before the pandemic. Uh, and as a result of that, we've had about 886,000 less ounces of supply out of South Africa. And then the other big um, issue was that because the NYMEX futures market normally either cash settle or roll, what happened is, is that the large bars that normally back the futures that sit in London or, or Zurich were unable able to be moved to the, to, to the US if they needed to. So we had a lot of people taking large bars in London and Zurich, melting them down, turning them into 50-ounce bars to supply to New York to make sure that they could back those futures. Now, that's happened, um, and I think what's been happening is that a lot of people have stayed out of the market. Scotia left the market-making, so it wasn't possible for people who normally take exposure to platinum on the futures market to do that. And I think that's why there's a big question, I think it's run through today, why hasn't the platinum price responded when you've got such a dominant effect from palladium, uh, a constrained supply, significantly lower supply, and certainly interest from gold investors. And I think the reason was because they'd lack of liquidity on the futures market, they stayed away. So you had this platinum price that's actually been kept suppressed. The good news is there's now over 400,000 ounces of those 50-ounce bars that firstly exist, secondly sit in uh, NYMEX depositories. So we think there's great potential for the long positions to increase and that platinum price to increase uh, for the rest of the year, and certainly well into 2021, on the good news that we're hearing from uh, from Matthias and others earlier today regarding substitution. So uh, the, the good work that we've done over the five years, uh, particularly to get more stock of bar and coin into the US, we worked with the Swiss refineries, and they were shut down because of northern Italy and COVID. So a lot of the stock that uh, we've managed to get across with our partners uh, over the, the last few years were sold out. Uh, as uh, they started again, they focused on gold product. So we've got a bit of pent-up demand uh, for borrowed coin, but certainly our partners around the world have helped us uh, get more platinum product. Uh, thanks, Benny. Uh, thank you, Trevor. And um, I would like to ask you to elaborate a little bit on uh, how you see uh, the biggest market in the world for anything, uh, which is uh, China. Um, in my understanding, China is still uh, a very uh, low-hanging fruit uh, uh, when it comes to investment uh, in, in platinum. It's, 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 it's in the very uh, beginning stages. So can you tell a little bit about what your strategy is, uh, what the WPIC strategy is for China and how you're, how you're attacking this market and uh, how, uh, whether you already can, uh, can uh, report some uh, early successes? Thanks, Benny. I think, yeah, quite, quite critical. We opened an office in Shanghai in, uh, in 2017, and that's enabled us to basically increase awareness 
Uh, one of the points that I think Kevin has raised quite strongly, that there's been a lot of news flow around the hydrogen economy. And what we did very early on in China was that there are a lot more people in China that are now saving for their retirement. Uh, platinum, the brand Platinum, because of the good work that PGI has done in China for many years, people know Platinum, trust it really well. So many people saving for their retirement are quite easily able to consider Platinum as part of that retirement savings. Uh, and what the hydrogen economy has helped and the big push in China for fuel cell and the hydrogen economy means that people saving for their retirement have got this comfort that platinum is going to be relevant because of the hydrogen economy over the next two decades. And that's the kind of time frame they need. So there's great awareness uh, for platinum. We've helped get bars and coins made and be working on getting more product available. So the nice thing that we've seen in the, in the China market, this increased awareness, strong demand through the banks, uh, and the banks there provide some um, investment uh, opportunities. Um, but I think the other thing, uh, Benny, is that the, the, the clean air that we've seen through COVID has changed attitudes towards the hydrogen economy. More uh, states are recognising hydrogen as a mainstream fuel uh, and certainly part of the future. And the other one is that uh, although the battery electric vehicle is growing quite nicely, is that to fund uh, battery electric vehicles at 30 or 40% is incredibly expensive. Uh, the grid upgrades necessary and the charging infrastructure for 30 or 40% is really high. So if the transition between internal combustion and electric powertrain is going to be slowed down because of COVID uh, funding costs, you want to make sure that the tail of the internal combustion uh, engine vehicles is as clean as possible. And we know that the uh, diesel mild hybrid vehicle emits 35% less, less CO2 than a conventional gasoline engine. So my view is you're going to get still the strong push on battery uh, fuel cell heavy duty in the early uh, early years, uh, fuel cell passenger cars much further down the line, but good for retirement savings. Uh, but in the interim, uh, what you're getting is that the diesel mild hybrid vehicle is probably going to dominate uh, the powertrain mix for internal combustion. And that's excellent news uh, for platinum. So I think more platinum investors are coming in. And then the last push is obviously the gold investors people that might have missed the gold runner that want to uh, use platinum as a proxy. And additionally, with gold performing well, it's likely to, to increase platinum. And we've seen a lot of new investors come in uh, that, that are from the gold space. Thanks, Benny. Uh, thanks, Trevor. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Chairman Bernard, I think I have like, I don't know, 20 seconds left. Uh, can I go quickly around the room and uh, ask uh, for all five of my uh, panelists uh, to do a closing statement? Can I steal uh, a few minutes uh, from the Q&As? Yeah, of course. Everybody can uh, make one more contribution and then I'll put some questions. Thank you, Benny. Very good. So I, I, I was going to ask uh, all, all five of you, starting with Anton. So if you want uh, the people here uh, to go home uh, tonight and, uh, and, uh, or log off, uh, because they're already home, sorry, <laughs> uh, tonight, and uh, move uh, from their office uh, to, uh, to the dining table and then uh, to the living room. Um, what, what is the one thing that you would want to, to tell them or you would want them to, to, to walk away with that they should know about uh, the, the, the market? Well, I, I think to me the important message is that uh, despite the crisis we're having uh, due to the coronavirus, in the long run, PGMs are extremely important. They have uh, incredibly high value in use and in foreseeable future, they will be used. And the world will need more uh, PGM supplied to, to industrial investment and new applications. 